welcome to The Diving Pod. I'm Cassidy Cook. And I'm Sarah Bacon from Team USA. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Make sure you go to sidelinescout.com. Check out their poolside live package at a minimum. Just this last week, we had an amazing young diver come to our pool. And, uh, you know, I was clipping a whole bunch of his videos from warm up just to gather some data that I can measure from him being such an elite diver and then comparing it for, for my kids. And we're always trying to learn. So that clipping feature is absolutely phenomenal. Um, like I said, as a minimum, and then you can get into a lot more of the data and the scoring aspect if you have the Sideline Scout box. So just make sure you hit up sidelinescout.com. Use our link tree in our Instagram bio. That really helps us out. And then before we get started here, I just want to remind people, episode two of the Diving Pod, of course, has uh, everything you need to know about diving. It's our Diving 101. It explains the numbers, the letters, the scoring of our sport that we love so much. Awesome. So Cassidy and Sarah, we're going to jump right in and kind of just walk us through the highlights of your diving journey, more so how you started the sport, um, your recruiting process. That's something a lot of young athletes are always asking us to ask elite divers. And then where are you now and what are you working towards? Um, so for me, I started diving when I was three years old, which seems pretty young. Um, but my older sisters dove. Um, my sister Kara dove at Purdue University with Adam Soldati. And then my other siblings dove as well for a little bit, but we were the only ones that kind of um, stuck with it. So I was just raised on the pool deck going to their competitions. And then as soon as I was able to swim, my mom put me in lessons and, you know, the rest is history. Um, you know, I was blessed enough to be on the national team, make some junior national events growing up. And then I would say my career really exploded in uh, 2010. That was the first time that I had qualified for World Series. For my first World Cup, and I also um, won the Junior World Championships on one meter and three meter, and that's kind of when it set in that like, wow, this Olympic dream I've had since I was a little girl is, is becoming a reality. Um, and you know, I've, I've battled a lot of injuries throughout my career, but diving has always been a constant, you know, in my life since I was three years old. So it's just like a huge part of who I am. I love the sport, I love the people involved, and I just love to compete. Yeah. And then for me, I started uh, diving a little bit later than Cass did. I uh, grew up with three brothers who all played, you know, the typical boys sports, football, basketball, baseball, you name it. And we belonged to a um, country club pool and they had a diving board there and a lifeguard that just happened to be there one summer um, was a diving coach for a club at the time called Stars Diving in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she was just teaching kids how to dive off the board. And she told me that I was like naturally talented and that I should get started in lessons. So I like brought this idea home to my parents just like one night in the fall. Cause at the time I played soccer, they're like, well, do you want to join an indoor soccer league for the fall? And I was like, no, I want to try diving. And they were like, where in the world did you get this idea? So then I <laughs> tell them the whole story. Well, but yeah, so I started diving with stars diving club actually when I was eight and then um, was talent identified by Wembo Chen at the National Training Center, which was also in Indianapolis, Indiana, and moved over to him, started diving with him when I was 11, I believe. And then I was just diving there in Indiana for that whole time. Then Wembo left to uh, go coach at Minnesota. So I think around the time when I was 13, he left to go to Minnesota, and I just wanted to continue diving with him from the time where he left. So I chose to follow him when I was old enough to go to college and go to Minnesota and continue diving with him where I um, really kind of developed in college. Um, you know, I was always pretty good in junior diving, but I wasn't on the senior international stage until uh, I got to college. So that's kind of where I um, really got good, I could say, <laughs> and started competing internationally for Team USA. Yeah, quite I'd say you're very good, Sarah. Yeah, that's that's exactly. I was like, that might be the biggest understatement we've had said on the podcast. Um, you know, you you both kind of mentioned this, and it seems like a really interesting question because you've both been around the sport for so long. Do you both still love diving as much as when you started? I um I think diving is one of those sports where it's very up and down. It's like a roller coaster. Some days you love it, sometimes you hate it. Um, and you know, I'd say growing up, I actually did not like diving that much. Like I, I wanted to be outside running around. I actually wanted to play soccer. Um, but now that I'm older, like I love diving. I don't really go through those phases anymore. I'd say it's more with dives that I have that relationship with. Like 
particular dives. I'm like, oh, one day I love it. The next day I'm like, I never want to do this dive again. Um, but like, I'd say for the past, you know, ever since I started getting injured on and off for like the last decade, I'd say I'd really started appreciating diving and then the times where I was physically able to do it. So um, I would say I've, I've loved, I love it more now that I'm older because I can appreciate all that it's given me. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I feel like me and Cassidy have been both been through so many injuries that when I'm injured, I absolutely just hate diving, obviously, like it hurts to do it. But um, the times when I've gotten older and I take care of my body and I am not overtraining, I appreciate what I can do. And I enjoy diving a lot more now that I'm older than I did when I was diving platform and absolutely destroying my body when I was 10 years old. But yeah, it, it goes through its waves up and down. But um, right now I'm in a pretty good relationship with the sport, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. It's like one and of those Facebook things. It's complicated. <laughs> that's that's super fair. And I know we're going to ask um, Cassidy this question later, but Sarah, you kind of mentioned it, um, battling through injuries. How do you train whenever you are battling those injuries do you get in the water do you just focus on dry land conditioning what are some things you do to keep moving through those injuries yeah it depends kind of what the injury is and how severe it is um i've had two shoulder surgeries and obviously both those times i wasn't allowed to be in the water i was out for six months for both of those so it was a lot of um conditioning a lot of like mental training you know uh, doing everything I can to stay in shape without using my arm. Um, it's funny because every I feel like every time I've been injured, the doctors have been like, oh, like you might not come back as good as you once were before and blah, blah, blah. And I like kind of take that as a challenge. And I'm like, well, I'm going to kind of prove you wrong and I'm going to come back stronger and better than I was before. So I just like to do really whatever I can out of the water when I'm injured to make my prepare myself for when I can get back in the water. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that there was a uh, a coach who I will tell you afterwards who actually mentioned that numerous times to Aaron and I and said, you have to interview Sarah because every time a doctor has told her she's probably not going to dive again, she's like, yeah, I'm going to and she's just an animal. So it's yeah. funny that you said that. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so individually, both of you have had a tremendous amount of, of success so my question is, did you keep an eye on each other? Were you ever competing against each other thinking like, hey, maybe one day we could partner up for Synchro? How did that whole thing go as you were growing up? Um, so, yeah, me and Sarah were competing against each other ever since we were in like 12, 13, 11 under. Um, and I remember she kind of came out of left field. Like, you know, I had been growing up in the diving community. I was diving 12, 13 when I was six, seven years old because I was always with my sister. Um, so then when I actually got to the age of 12, 13, like Sarah came in and I was like, Oh, who is this girl? Like she was so good. I'd never really seen her at any other competitions. And of course it was hard to miss the last name. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of when our little, I wouldn't say it was like a rivalry. Cause we were like best friends on the pool yeah. too. It was like, you know, it was always like cooking bacon, cooking bacon. <laughs> we would always go one, two, one, two. Um, so I think we fostered a really healthy competitive environment as young kids, like you know, we weren't malicious. We rooted for each other. We were friends and we were so goofy. We have like the worst pictures ever of us when we were little girls, yeah. like through our awkward stages. We had hair, like braces and our hair was like <laughs> so short and just dead. We looked like little boys running around. Yeah, like the green hair. Um, but yeah, I think like we were always aware of each other. But, um, you know, I, I started going on the international scene when I was pretty young. Um, and that's kind of when Sarah first started getting in her injury phase. So we didn't really compete. Like I never competed past 14, 15 in junior diving. In fact, my last junior meet was wow. the junior worlds in 2010. Um, and then, you know, we didn't really see each other again, like competitive wise, what we saw each other 2016 trials um, and all of those meets, but like probably till college. Um, but even then, like we were on different tracks, taking gap years at different times. Um, but I always like knew that I wanted to do synchro with her, especially after I had, you know, I didn't retire, but after college, I took a break from diving again. Um, uh, and then I was thinking about coming back. And I remember, you know, seeing Sarah making her first, you know, senior international world championship team in 2019. And I watched her at that meet and I was like, wow, she's like gotten so good. Like I always knew she had that potential, but she was, you know, we were always injured at different times. So I didn't really see how she progressed. So when I was thinking about coming back, I actually texted her after the uh, world championships and I said, Hey, congrats. Like, 
you look amazing. Like, I'm so happy for you. Um, don't tell anybody, but I'm thinking about coming back to diving and I would <laughs> love to do synchro with you. So that's kind of how it started because I was like keeping my eye on her while I was taking a break. And I was like, this girl is going to be amazing. Um, and you know, I, I, I came up with my little plan to do synchro with her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think she basically hit everything there. <laughs> I don't have cool. anything for that one. Yeah, my next one is like, it was just, I guess, take it a step further, you know, how you got paired up to go synchro. And then, you know, Cassidy, if you want to expand too, I know you've had synchro partners in the past. So how is Sarah similar and different? And what do you guys do that sets you apart? So um, So growing up, like synchro was my favorite event. Um. Because I was, you know, I was just learning my pike list when I was about 13. And, um, you know, when you're doing synchro, you only have to do the three optional. So I started out doing synchro and I'm, I was doing synchro with Christina Lucas, Cassidy Krug, Abby Johnston. And then, you know, when I was younger, I did it with Figgy Figueroa. Um, but I think like the biggest difference between my synchro past partner partnerships and this partnership is... I was always diving with people that were 10 years older than me. I mean, I remember when I first started doing synchro with Cassidy Krug, I was 15 and she was 25. So, you know, I was just kind of like the goofy little sister. I kept the competition nice and loose. Whereas like right now, I feel like me and Sarah are just like more equals, like same age. We've been through kind of similar experiences and like, you know, we just have a lot more, um, I would say compatibility off the pool deck. Than I did with my past partners. Um, even though like I, I I really looked up to those divers, but I feel like me and Sarah just have like not only a great career professionally, but we just have such a great personal relationship and that just makes synchro easier. Yeah. And then we just got paired up at a little synchro camp that they had. What year was that? 2019. 19, yeah. In Indianapolis, they invited a couple of the women's three meter springboard divers there. I mean, me and Cassidy had already texted each other and kind of planned that we were going to be doing synchro but then USA diving brought us together and was like we think you'd be good so yeah they just brought in a couple of the uh FINA judges to have watch us dive um me Cassidy and a couple other girls and then they just chose who they thought would be the best team to possibly bring back an Olympic spot so then they said that me and Cassidy looked really good and that we should continue doing synchro so it was kind of just we took that and ran with it from there yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Something uh, Aaron and I, and I'd be curious to hear you um, talk about this a little bit, Sarah, is something Aaron and I noticed at Winter Nationals is you and Cassidy, when you were competing synchro, you would show up to the pool, dress the same, you would warm up together. Like you, you, you always talk like act like you, where you want to be. And it's like, you look like a professional synchro team and not that other teams didn't, but is that something you guys coordinate? Is that something you guys plan? Is that like, is that a, uh, a uh, purposeful choice that you guys make yeah i i don't even know how the matching outfits really started <laughs> we have we all we have so many matching outfits though like we just buy so much nike clothing and nike gear and love to wear the same things and match but um yeah we coordinate it we'll text the night before and be like hey you want to wear this tomorrow and we'll just wear that and match but other than that cast do you remember how it like started <laughs> I think it's like, so every time we would go to a competition, I'm, my mother, Laura Walsh Cook, love her, very big fan of diving, very involved, um, but uh, if, if you're a diver in my, like, generation, you probably have seen my mom up in the stands with her camera, um, but anyway, every time me and Sarah went to a competition, my mom would get us, you know, a matching something, so, like, always around Winter Nationals, but always be around Christmas, so she would get us, like, a funky Christmas outfit, and then when we were in Madrid on Valentine's Day, she got us, like, the matching Valentine sunglasses, socks, and headbands. And so I think that's kind of what sparked it, um, along with like me and Sarah having similar taste in athletic clothes. And I just feel like when you look the part, you can act the part. And I, I like you said, like I just feel more in sync with her. I feel like we're more of a professional athlete. Like it's a more of a team sport when we're matching and we're on the same page. But the funny thing is, is like we never we don't always even have to plan it out. Like even when I was taking a break from diving, I would be like Snapchatting Sarah and she was like, Dude, I'm wearing the exact same outfit. Like, <laughs> we have like, been literally all the time. <laughs> just like, like literally like, dude, I'm wearing the same thing. And I was like, this is hilarious. We just have like similar tastes. We mesh really well. And I think our combat compatibility outside the pool and inside the pool, just like when we dress the same kind of 
just amplifies it. it makes us feel more confident yeah yeah absolutely um and then so next part of this question i'm going to ask sarah first is you know when we watch you dive i would say you're a fairly intense competitor um you're not someone that i would approach during a meet and like crack a joke to um how do you maintain that competitiveness over such a long elite level career? Has that been adjusted as you've progressed? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, a lot of people tell me that I look scary <laughs> when I compete. And I, um, like within the last like year, they've been telling me that, well, really since like Olympic trials and I haven't even noticed it. So at when we were at winter nationals, I was like trying to smile more and like loosen up a little bit and not look so scary and more approachable for people. And once when people get to know me and they talk to me on the pool deck, I, they like are not as afraid of me anymore. So, um, you know, I kind of just get into a zone, which can sometimes be not the best. You know, I sometimes I get too tense, too tight, too nervous um, and then don't compete well. So it's been one thing we've been trying to work on over the last year or two, really, since Olympic trials is just loosening up a little bit in competition, having a little bit more fun, smiling a little bit more, um, not looking so intense, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just something I've been trying to work on and loosen up, have fun. Yeah. I would say I, Rambo's new favorite correction is me. Have fun. Keep smiling. Yeah. Every <laughs> single time. Every single time you walk over there. Make sure, make sure you have fun. Keep smiling. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, I think I think you said it well. I don't necessarily know if I would use the word scary. I think intense or I, I think focused and intense is the way I would describe it. But you know, you said you're working on that um to try to loosen up a little bit. What are some things you're doing at your practices to help you do that in a competition? Um just talking more to my teammates during practice, uh, having fun during practice, not being so focused and intense. You know, sometimes it is good at times to be focused and be working on things, but other times it's important to also be having fun and loosen up and enjoy diving during practice. So we've just been really working on talking during practice, not being, sometimes not being so focused, diving with distractions, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm yeah, just having more fun throughout practices really. Yeah. Has, has that improved your performances? Have you noticed a, a, a effect on your performances at practice from that adjustment? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I didn't dive the best I could have at winter nationals, but it's also kind of a weird point in the season to be diving at your best. So, um, I think as time goes on, we'll be able to tell more if that is helping me in competition, um, yeah, it's just going to be having to have more meets under my belt yeah. with this new approach in competition. And yeah. I just have to keep reminding myself because at Olympic trials, you know, I was so tense and just so nervous and so tight the whole time. And at the end of the day, it's diving is diving, you know, life is going to go yeah. on and you're going to have a job after diving and all that kind of stuff. So I just keep reminding myself that when I'm competing, that it's just another me It's just yeah. have fun, relax it's gonna life is gonna go on yeah yeah for well if i don't know if it'll mean anything but aaron and i literally every single day we would leave the pool we're like oh sarah looks every single day you dove we're like sarah looks better today sarah looks better today like every single time so i thought that was neat to see um and then cassidy you know on the flip side you know you've dealt as you mentioned you've been dealing with a lot of injuries throughout this part of your career how have you worked back from those injury? What is injuries? What does that look like for you when you go through an injury and then battle back to get where you want to go? Um, it's definitely a formative experience, um, especially, you know, when it's been happening over and over for a decade. Um, I would say like the injuries have made me stronger, you know, inside and outside the pool. It's made me a more like persevere. I mean, it's, it's made me persevere better. It's made me, you know, deal with adversity, but also find things outside of diving that I enjoy and that I'm passionate about. Because like Sarah said, like at the end of the day, diving is only one portion of your life. And I think growing up, I was always Cassidy, the diver, but now I feel like I'm Cassidy, the person who dives. And I think like injury has taught me that. And that's why I've been able to have success outside of the pool and be able to separate those kind of things and go through heartbreak and injury, but be able to bounce back. Um, but obviously with injury, you have to be really um, focused and determined to get back to where you were. Like Sarah, I've been told, like basically every shoulder surgery I've had, that I probably won't be able to dive again, especially after my first one, since I tore the entire labrum. Um, but again, I took that as a challenge. So I think really just using 
myself as motivation and my goals and like making that three-year-old girl proud, like that little girl that wanted to go to the Olympics, that wanted to win an Olympic medal, like doing it for her because you know, obviously it gets harder as it gets closer and you face more obstacles and adversity. But, um, you know, a, a career without adversity, without injury, I, I would say it'd be a pretty boring one. So if, if that's the case, then I've had a very exciting career. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So my next question, I'm, I'm incredibly curious from, for both of your perspectives, uh, I would say you are our top synchro team in the country and probably have been for quite a few years. I know Olympic trials didn't go the way you both probably wanted it to go, but what I'm really curious to know is how you deal with pressure. I would say probably nobody in our country has dealt with more than you two. And I'm just really curious to try to get inside your head and let us in on, on what goes on and how you handle that in big moments. Um, um, I can, I can just go off, go ahead and say it. I love pressure. I feel like I do better under pressure. Um, if I don't have pressure at a competition, I always feel just like a little flat, like there's no, no, no fire lit underneath my butt to get me going. So I love that high pressure environment. Um, you know, I usually thrive in that kind of environment. Obviously going into the 21 trials, I was dealing with a lot of pain and injury. And so it was kind of hard to get locked in in the competition when you're literally getting a shot of lidocaine to numb your shoulder, like in between dives. Um, but I personally love the pressure, high pressure situation. And I think me and Sarah together deal with it. And I think part of that reason is because Sarah is the hyper-focused diver and I'm more of like the goofy let loose type of person that is cracking the jokes. And so I think we both kind of level each other out. Like, you know, she gets me in the zone and I help her relax a little bit. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we go into these high pressure situations and we, we love it because it makes the competition more exciting. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I was going to say. Cause I feel like I deal with the pressure, not as great as Cassidy does. So when we're doing synchro, she helps take the pressure off of me and just cracks jokes on the side. And then I relax more and it helps me dive well. But yeah, I think if there's a happy medium between having too much pressure, if you put too much pressure on yourself, I don't think you're going to dive great, but just finding that like, cause you want a little bit, you know, you want a little bit of pressure. I'm going to make you dive, dive better, but it's just finding that and learning how to deal with the pressure and Cassidy helps me and is great at helping me calm down so so sarah in it divers that don't deal with pressure well pressure is all what you make it there's only as much pressure as you think like i always think growing up i was like wow i'm going to disappoint so many people if i don't win this meet but in actuality nobody really cares like (laughs) they're going to still love you your parents are still going to love you your friends are still going to be your friends so it's just kind of you know if you don't deal well with pressure then don't think about it but if you love the pressure then take that environment in yeah, yeah, that reminds me, I think one of the best thing advice things that I've gotten was going into my individual final event at Olympic trials. Um, David Badiah came up to me and was like, how many people do you think actually know about the sport of diving and are actually watching you dive on TV right now? And I was like, <laughs> I have no idea. And he was like, probably like 500, like girl, relax. And like, no one, no one cares. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> That's actually kind of, I mean, it's super true, but I, like, we're hoping to bring more eyeballs to the sport. <laughs> yeah. the, we're hoping the podcast can grow and get more people interested, but you're exactly right. I mean, David's exactly right. You know, we, we're in this tiny, small niche sport and, you know, Heath and I are excited to interview Cassidy Cook and Sarah Bacon. And, you know, we have you on just, this is an incredible moment for us, but in reality, I mean, we all know how small of a sport it, it is. And it's like, wow, yeah, this is, this is where we're at. <laughs> right. So, oh, so Sarah, I, I did have one more follow-up. Um, when you're in an individual competition, do you feel different type of pressure than when you're in synchro? Um, it depends where I'm at, what meet I'm at, you know, what's going on. Um, I think when I don't have Cassidy and I'm competing in an individual, then I kind of lean on Wembo and he helps me. And over the last two years, he's really learned how to make me calm down and relax during meets and how to kind of go about that and make me smile and laugh more kind of like Cassidy does when we're doing synchro. So it is different, but I just kind of lean on somebody else other than Cassidy for individual. 
So I have two follow-up questions. One is um, for Sarah, you had said when you go through your injuries, you sometimes will spend a lot of time on cardio or mental training. And I feel like that mental training aspect really applies to this question. You know, what are some things you do for your mental training and how often do you incorporate mental training into your training cycles? Um, I'll just like, if I'm completely out of the water, I'll still go to practice and watch uh, my teammates dive just to keep looking at diving, keep coach. Sometimes I'll even coach them. And, you know, if I think, I feel like if you're coaching and you're telling them what to do, then you're still like feeling the dives as you're coaching, you know, and then just visualization on the side of the pool deck. I try and do that. Um, whenever I'm just at the pool, I'll visualize myself doing my dives if I'm out of the water. And that way, when I get back in the water, it just, it comes naturally. Everything comes back really easily. Awesome. And then one other aspect of this too is, can you walk us through whenever you are competing as a synchro team, what type of communication goes into competing? You know, um, we saw Olympic trials, like what goes through all that in terms of your communication as you go to the end of the board? If one of you decide, oh, that something feels way wrong, how do you communicate that to each other to reset and not go? Um, honestly, it still amazes me that Sarah was able to stop herself on that gator dive at the Olympic trials. Like, you know, when you're in the heat of the moment and you have a good hurdle and you're on a dive that, you know, a gainer dive, like it's kind of hard to stop yourself. But obviously I had a, an un unfortunate knee buckle on the hurdle step and I literally just yelled <laughs> like off the top of my lungs. And it just amazes me. Like that was probably the most athletic thing I've ever seen. Like her stop that all calm and collective and be able to reset. And I think, you know, just having her support, knowing that She's always going to have my back and I, I messed up, but like, she still was there for me. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, just having that trust in your partner is really important. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, having that trust and that great relationship is a really important part of doing synchro. Um, and so it, I mean, she still amazes me with that, but I think <laughs> during competition, we, we don't try to like sync up our meat routine that much. We're already very similar, like with our fuzzy socks and our music and our, we like to get all warm because we we both are naturally freezing when we dive. So we're all bundled up, but like, you know, I'm like, okay, if she wants to go model her dive by herself, I'll let her do that because like, it's not just about secret. Like you need to do your yeah. individual dive well. So I think we have a good um, mesh of, you know, things that we do together and things that get um, our own selves into the zone. Yeah. And then like, at the end of the day, we're also a team. So if one of us messes, we don't blame each other for if one of us does a bad dive. We don't get mad at each other. We don't blame each other for doing that. Yeah. You know, like at Olympic trials, like we balked on that dive. So yeah. like, yeah. you know, it's a good partnership where we don't blame each other for whatever. Awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was, I was trying not to ask that super directly. Cause I don't know if that's something either of you like talking about or not, but I think sometimes it's important for our listeners that are, are never going to be at the level you're at to see like, look, they mess up too. And this is how they dealt with it. Um, so Sarah, I'll start with you. Um, obviously I think the diving world here in the U S is hoping to see both of you, um, go for another Olympic run to represent us, you know, so what are some things you're doing to work to get there and prepare yourself for trials, um, in hopefully synchro and individual. And then, um, Cassidy after Sarah, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, you know, I think my main my main thing right now is just not overtraining. I'm starting to get a little bit older. My body's starting to get a little bit run down. So and a huge thing with me in the past is that I would just, you know, do cardio every single day for 30 minutes, lift weights, go to practice for three hours, and it would just absolutely destroy my body and completely run it down. So the biggest thing I'm trying to focus on right now is overtraining and then just getting more consistent on my dives, really. Awesome. And my Olympic run this time around is a little different um, than it has been in the past. I moved out of my, you know, lovely home state of Texas. I'm working a full-time job. I'm, you know, training before work whenever I can. So I think, you know, it's a little bit different for me this time, but I almost think it's good for me because it helps me prevent from overtraining. I think a lot of my injuries have been from overtraining or pushing myself too hard. Me and Sarah are both the type of athlete that we just do whatever we're told. Like our coach wants it. They tell us to do it. We'll do it. And like, we're not complainers. We're really, we're tough. We're tough as nails. And we, 
we just like push ourselves. Um, and sometimes that's hard to stop when you get into that zone. So I think having a different structure this time around really makes, helps me focus on what my body needs. Um, but really like this time around, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on just staying healthy. I'm coming back with the sole focus of synchro knowing that, you know, I don't want to push it too hard and then, you know, kind of screw myself out of another Olympic run with Sarah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on my synchro dives. And, you know, if I feel great, my shoulder's feeling awesome, maybe I'll consider individual. But like for now, my my entire focus is on synchro and perfecting those three optional dives and two required dives. And uh, like I said, synchro's always been my favorite event. I love the team aspect. So like, I'm really excited for this, um, you know, upcoming year and a half because I get to do the event that I love. That, that's awesome. And then the follow-up I have for both of you is, just from what I'm gathering from this short conversation, it almost sounds like both of your brains, motivation and determination are almost stronger than what your body allows you to do at times. Have you both always been like that where it's like, I'm going to train, 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 train. Oh, I'm injured. I'm still going to figure out a way to train. Is that something you've always been like that? And it's just been something that as long as your body holds up your brain and your motivation are always going to get you where you want to go. Yeah, I think I've always been like that from a young age. You know, I'm a perfectionist. I always wanted everything to be perfect. So I've always been, I will do whatever my coach tells me to do. I'm going to do type of person. I, you know, I was homeschooled for diving for four years and really got overtrained then, really injured. And then I came to college and it was kind of like the same way, you know, I had fun my freshman year of college into my sophomore year of college. And then Wumbo was kind of like, if you want to be good, you know, you're going to have to make a lot of habit lifestyle changes here. So I did that, listened to him, got kind of got my life together. And then, um, yeah, just been training hard and I do whatever the, they tell me to do, whatever Wumbo tells me to do, whatever the doctors tell me to do anything and just yeah, controlling that overtraining is huge for success. Yeah, I definitely think we're both very driven people and we're ambitious. And so it's kind of hard to make yourself stop when there's you have this goal in mind. Um, and so if your body's not always agreeing to what you want to do, it's a little tough. Uh, but I think with age, we've gotten smarter with that where it's like, okay, we need to listen to our bodies because we are in that 25 up club now. And uh, in injury, when you're younger, you bounce back, you know, you're more, you're more flexible with those types of things. But as you get older, those injuries can, you know, not only change your athletic career, but like linger into your adulthood and, and change yeah. your life in that way. So I think just re being really smart and listening to our bodies, um, you know, muscle memory is such an amazing thing. I you know, truly didn't realize that until like, you know, doing World Cup and Olympic trials where I didn't even get to train because I was injured. And I was like, you know, I'm going into this meet with zero reps essentially, but that your body, your mind body connection is so powerful that like you, if you believe in yourself, your body will take care of the rest. So I think, you know, it's really honing in on that muscle memory, knowing that I don't need to do 10 of each. I can, you know, do three or four and still get great results, probably even better because I'm not overworking it. Awesome. Yeah. Before I get on to my next one, I'm, I just want to continue this conversation a little bit. Um, Sarah, I talked to Mike Hilbert a little bit. He's been on the podcast and he's, he's a good friend. I, I go to him for a whole bunch of different things. And he just mentioned how incredibly dedicated you are to staying in shape. And obviously it's apparent on pool decks, both of you incredible shape. What do you do in the past that just, you know, continued to work? And then how do, how do you have to edit that now? As you, like you say, are having to listen to your body a little bit more. Yeah, I, uh, like I said, was a pretty uh, big, I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, but <laughs> my <laughs> freshman year of college, I was a huge uh, partier and I would go out all the time and had just really bad habits. I would eat plates of French fries in the dining hall, you know, just typical freshman college stuff. And I gained like 30 pounds my freshman year. And so I got put on a pretty uh, strict cardio program at the time, which was not, I didn't get put on it. I was told if I wanted to be good at diving, this is what you needed to do. So I was like, okay, I want to be good. So I started doing this cardio program that was laid out for me. And I just, it took a while to get into shape. You know, I took probably two years to get into the shape that I'm in right now. 
Um, but yeah, I was just doing cardio, lifting weights a lot, going to practice, doing all that. Um, now I don't need to do that. I'm in shape. I don't really do cardio anymore. Um, I just lift a heavy weight a lot, but yeah, it would, it took a while to get to where I'm at now <laughs> and a lot of habit changes, but that's kind of how I got into the shape that I'm in. And for me, I think it, you know, it's very similar. I, I'm not so much a cardio bunny like Sarah over there. Um, but I think I was blessed with good genes growing up, but I, I definitely faced a lot of body image and self-control problems, much like a lot of women do in, in sports where your body's kind of on display. So going into my freshman year as well, I had dealt with, you know, being on my own, like the, all the food in the dining hall when I was trying to like be healthy. And I think I was a little too restrictive at some points. And then like, it would lead to just like a, in a unhealthy relationship with food. Um, so I was kind of, you know, going through those growing pains and finding myself and, you know, just doing what made me happy and, and, and finding a comfortable balance. And I think that's what really stuck with me these last five, six years is just like, you know, giving myself what I want and what I crave with self-control. Um, and then obviously working really hard inside the pool. Working out has never been an issue for me. It was more just like the the growing pains of being a young a young woman in college and going through a lot of change and a lot of injury and, you know, heartbreak with diving. Um, so just all these things at once, just kind of, you know, mental training, I would say I started working with a psychologist that helped me a great deal. And I think, you know, once, once you're able to have confidence in yourself and feel like you're in control of your own life, it, it, it reflects externally as well. But it's more about, for me, it was more about fixing like the internal part. I never, I always knew that I was a hard worker at practice. I was a hard worker in the gym, but I had some, you know, inner turmoils that I need to work on. And and, and I, I, you know, was ashamed at first and, and never wanted to talk about it. And so like that, you know, didn't help me because I didn't seek the sources or resources that I needed to fix it. But as I, you know, recognized that within myself and felt comfortable to talk about it and not be ashamed or embarrassed that, you know, that I had problems and that I couldn't control certain aspects of my life. Um, I think, you know, finding that inner peace helped me just become a happier person. And that just has reflected in my physical form. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there's a lot of self-reflection, especially when you go to college and you're on your own the first time. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, I remember my freshman year, I drank like four or five Mountain Dews a day. I mean, you're not going to be <laughs> successful. And you're not going to look, you're not, you're not going to look very good on the pool deck when you're drinking that much soda. <laughs> Exactly. And I just feel like diving is one of those sports where you just feel like eyes are on you and, and, you know, your body is on display. You're wearing, you know, essentially just nothing. You're wearing a bathing suit. And so that can be a, a tough thing, especially growing up and going through those learning phases, like in, in those puberty years where your body's changing, you're, you have all these emotions, <laughs> all these external factors going on. So I think, you know, that's a normal uh, path that everybody takes in their athletic career or even just growing up and I think it, it, there was always a stigma around talking about it but I feel like you know nowadays that's kind of been broken and that and and that should help these young athletes or these young people like get through those places and feel confident in their bodies and in their selves for sure all right so I want you guys to take a minute and talk about your sponsors number one who are they I really want you to feel free to plug your brands um, I know you're both done with college and yet you're still able to dive with some of this support. And in diving, we all know not many, if any, are able to go pro, but I feel like you're kind of showing us a little bit of a way to do it. So feel free. Um, I think we both have, you know, support from our families and from our coaches and stuff. Um, and it's always great to have sponsors, but as you may know, it's not the easiest to come across within diving. Um, but we've been lucky enough to work with brands. We had the same agent for a while. Um, and one of our favorite brands is American Dream Nut Butter. It's a peanut butter company. <laughs> they make delicious spreads. Um, we've done, you know, a couple side projects for companies like Left on Friday together. We did a photo shoot and a video shoot for Frame Jeans. Um, and those are ones that we've done together. Personally, I worked with KT Tape going into 2020. Um, but right now I'm kind of just like, getting back into diving. So I, I don't have any like official sponsors anymore. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of my own sponsor right now. I'm working on a full-time job. It's a little bit different this time. I'm a little bit older, you know, I can't be on my parents' health insurance anymore. So I, I'm really making sure that I can support my own dreams. Um, but, you know, definitely 
obviously have only competed in one competition, but definitely on the market for some sponsors. And <laughs> there are some great brands that I would like to work with. Yep. She hit that one. Um, right now we, I don't really have any sponsors that right now at the moment, um, American dream, nut butter. It's an, um, literally amazing. The best peanut butter ever. So if you like peanut butter, <laughs> cashew butter, or almond butter, you need to try that, try them out. Um, but other than that, yeah, just looking for little deals here and there to, um, try and help pay for training expenses and all that kind of stuff. It's a grind for sure. You're right. There isn't a big opportunity for divers to go pro because there's not a lot of money in sponsors within Olympic sports, um, unless you're like that huge name that everybody knows. Um, but I think, you know, just finding ways to make it work. There's companies out there that want to work with, you know, young athletes. And I think that, you know, Sarah's a great role model and works really hard in that, you know, once that opportunity presents itself, it, it'll take off, but it's all about just like networking, being yourself, um, you know, finding ways to do what you love. I don't think you should let money or any of that hold you back from doing something you love. So I think, you know, you just find a way to make it work. Yep. So uh, I have one more question before we get to our listener questions and Aaron is probably going to hate this question, but I had to ask this because last week um, we had Natalie Calabat on, who's a commentator, and she said we should ask like goofy questions that throw you off. Oh, no. So, so this starts with Sarah, and then there will be a follow-up for Cassidy. I bet Cassidy doesn't even know this happened. Oh, Aaron tried to bestow me. Sarah a nickname, and all <laughs> she did was laugh at him. So I have to ask you, what went through your head when he asked you that question? Aaron, do you mind? Uh, do you remember what the question was? I know what it was. Uh, I... I, I think about I said, the queen of the springboards. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had one three-meter synchro, and then you won three-meter individual, and I was like, yep, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, and I said, oh, no. Sarah, you're the queen of the three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what went through your head when he asked you that? I was just, like, so thrown off i didn't know how to respond i was just like yeah i i mean i guess i am <laughs> i didn't really think about it <laughs> and then uh. and, and then my follow-up would be cassie have you hopefully you don't say one of the questions we've asked this evening but like what is the most like thrown off you've been in an interview you've done before um oh gosh that's a hard question to ask um i mean Oh gosh, I wish I had an answer to this. I think just anytime um, during like the COVID pandemic being asked about COVID was just a little bit, you know, yeah. threw me off a little because it was something that you were just trying to like kind of tune out for a while, especially during those yeah. hard months. So anytime a question like that really, um, you know, I feel like sometimes people will pry into that just to see if like there's any problematic answers or anything. But I think that like during that time, I was trying to like get myself away from that or like get locked into the sport so when they're talking about something that i really have no control over it kind of threw me off um if i have any funny ones i'll bring them up and i gotta think on that <laughs> no that's that's okay and then i guess my last question do you like your nickname that aaron gave you sarah stop stop bringing this up <laughs> he, he's he's one for so just for the record before you answer this he's created one other nickname for someone and it was curtis matthews and he called him the Spring King, and that one like actually made, like was really good because he won the Springboards like last one's year. That better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That that's good. I think my nickname <laughs> creation days are over. I I I failed twice. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, thank you. I know that was like just a goofy question, but I had to. Um. Uh, let's go he, ahead, Aaron. He's go ahead first on that listener right. question. So um, we put a um, Facebook post out there on our coaches group and just said, Hey, we're having Cassidy and Sarah on, um, you know, you guys are pretty big names in our sport, obviously. And we just said, do any of you have questions? Um, so Peter asked, what is your motivation and inspiration to be committed towards the next Olympics? Mine's pretty easy. Mine's Sarah. I mean, I feel like we had some unfinished business. We had a lot of loose ends. We didn't really get to accomplish everything that we're capable of. Um, and so I'm really, I mean, like, obviously I want to do it, but I want to be up there with her. I want to have this experience with her. I've been to an Olympics, you know, I'm not doing it for the Olympic experience. I'm doing it for the Olympic experience with Sarah, my best friend and my single partner. Yeah, I would, I would say the same thing. You know, we, I, like Cassidy said, I think we have unfinished business. I think yeah. that we are 
uh, very capable of meddling at the Olympic Games. So kind of just having that in the back of my head and then being able to do with Cassidy, who I've been really good friends with since I started diving. Um, I think that would be really cool. Fun. Uh, all right. And Justin asked, what advice would you give to college divers on managing academic and athletic stress during the season and especially during championship season? Um, you were in college more recently if you want to start this one <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my biggest thing during college was making sure that all of my academic work and everything was completed before leaving to go to a meet. So if I was leaving to go to Big Tens on, let's say, Wednesday, I would try and get all my work done for that week over the weekend before I left. That way I didn't even have to worry about school while I was at the meet. Um, I think that that's, if you can do that, I think that that's a great way to kind of manage the stress of academics so you can just focus on diving while you're there. Um, another thing, obviously talk to your professors, your teachers, make sure that if you're going to be missing an exam or something, try and schedule it for before you leave or after when you get back. So once again, you can just focus on diving while you're at those uh, bigger meets. Mine would be very similar. It's all about time management. Um, I think the word or the term student athlete is very important. You're a student first. So you need to put your schoolwork ahead uh, of your diving for a little bit and then make sure that you have everything organized, that you have um, you know, you know, you're spoken with your professors and, and one really great way to stay on top of it and plan for that championship season is to develop relationships with your professors, your TAs, go to the office hours, sit in the first couple rows of class, you know, make an effort in class, introduce yourself, let them know a little bit about you so that they're more understanding of your situation. I feel like there is a bad reputation for student athletes where like, oh, they don't ever even go to class or they never do it. Um, so I think just really making school a priority and using your resources. Um, I know a lot of universities have, you know, athletic department, um, athletic academic academic departments that um, <clears throat> help students, you know, keep up with their notes, offer tutoring. So I think just making sure that you know what your resources are and then be willing to use them. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. That was so great to say, like, use your resources. Um, the next one is Kim asks, what is the best technique for twisters? I have personally never been the best twisterer. Is that how you would say it? <laughs> I've never been the best twisterer. Um, but I think belts and repetitions is what's really worked for me. Um, again, I only have to do one twister in my list, and that's the full out, which, um, you know, has become one of my bread and butter dives. Um, but, you know, that takes a lot of work leading up to it because – it's not the easiest thing to learn naturally. Flipping feels a little bit more natural to me than twisting. So lots of reps, lots of practice, lots of belts and dry land. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I don't, I only do full out too, since I don't do one meter anymore. And I'm for sure not the person to ask about how to twist on back or reverse because I am horrible back and reverse twisters. So um, yeah, I would say belts just a lot of work um i know my issue with back reverse twisters is that i'm not patient at all i twi literally mm -hmm. twist right off the yep. board so for back reverse twisters be patient um pull out wembo always tells me to lift my head up and see the water and snap harder <laughs> yes oh i'm so no, happy you said advice. that i'm so happy you said that i have a, a young man right now who i'm like just look at the water and then snap and he's like it sounds so easy. I'm like, it is. And then he did one like that. And then he did one like that. And he's like, oh, I get it now. And like, it still wasn't how you want it, but like, it was so much better. So like, you saying that, cause I'll have him listen to this and I'll be like, oh, that makes so much sense. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the last listener question here comes from Dave. Uh, I had to rephrase it just a little bit, Dave. So I apologize for that. But uh, what are some of the things that you two do that put you above the others? um, in, in making hopefully another Olympic run here, especially taking some time off. I think just dedication that we both have is unmatched. Um, we work really hard. We really respect other, other divers and, and enjoy competition. So I think, you know, just work ethic, especially like I could speak to how hard Sarah works. I think work, work ethic is where we really set ourselves apart. We, 
put our heads down, we go to work, we work through the nitty gritty, we work through the injury, we work through the grind. And I think that, you know, that's not easy to do. So a, a lot of people aren't really willing to do it, but I think like me and Sarah kind of just like enjoy the grind um, and that, and enjoying the process gives you results in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And great communication. I mean, we talk like basically every single day about really everything that we're doing, what we're doing at practice, what we're doing outside of practice. And um, I think just keeping that relationship and that friendship going out, even when we're not together, it really helps us uh, when we get back together in the pool. Very good. Awesome. Well, we'll get into our signature questions. I'll ask Sarah first on the first one and then Cassidy first on the second one. So Sarah, um, we don't treat failure like it's a bad thing. We treat failure like an opportunity for growth. So from that perspective, what would you say your favorite failure is? Um, I mean, the I would say the biggest failure that I have learned from was Olympic trials. And um, you know, after synchro, we weren't in the spot that we thought we were going to be, which then I put a lot of pressure on myself for my individual event to make the Olympic team. And that did not work out well for me. And I remember being on the board at Olympic trials, literally shaking. And if that has ever happened to you, I'm so sorry, because it's literally so hard to compete and the worst thing in the world. So, um, I really took that and used that as a learning opportunity at Olympic trials and have been using it at every meet since to just relax and have fun. So I think that that was probably my biggest failure that turned into growth in my awesome. diving now. Yep, exactly. And Cassidy, same question. Um, I would say, I, I don't like to call it a failure. I just like to call it a lesson. But yep. one thing, you know, like what could be perceived as failure, what could feel like failure is my Olympic trials in 2012, when I was six, 17 years old, I was competing. I got third in the individual event and second in the synchro event, which was one spot off from making the team. Um, you know, as a teenager, that's like, was the most heartbreaking thing in the world. But uh, for the synchro event, it was like less than half a point. So it was point, I think 0 0.38, 0 0.38 points over three lists accumulative. Like that's how much I missed the Olympics by. And I just felt like my world was over. I was a teenager. I was literally just a splash of water away from making an Olympic team as a teenager. And, you know, and then three weeks later is when I tore my shoulder for the first time. So I think that was a really formative experience for me um, because for a while there, I was like, didn't know if I was ever going to be as good as I was. I was thinking I was going to be one of those divers that peaked at junior diving or peaked at a really young age. So I think using that event as motivation to help me qualify for the 2016 Olympics and help me go for the 2020 Olympics. Um, you know, I, I, I failed to make the Olympic team, but I learned a lot from it and it kind of formed me into the diver and person I am today. Um, so yeah, I would say like that there's always a lesson in those failures. And I think, you know, believing in yourself and using those and, you know, looking at it as a lesson instead of a failure um, helps you be, you know, get to where you want to be. Yep. And then my next signature question, um, Cassidy, feel free to answer first here is what can USA diving do to improve every, everything is available for improvement in my opinion. I think, you know, um, visibility, just, you know, maybe some marketing for the events to get younger people involved in the, in the sport. I think it's such a beautiful and fun sport. And I think the way that high diving has approached it has been super genius. So I think, you know, maybe collaborating with the high diving, uh, Red Bull cliff diving and, and kind of figuring out ways to make the sport more accessible to people, um, as well as, um, you know, just having more competitions and making them more like high stakes, like maybe, I don't know, making them a little more fun, having some exhibition events. Uh, you know, I just think just opening it up and making it more of like an extreme sport would be cool. Mm. Yeah. And Sarah, same question to you. That's good. Um, that was a good one. I can't think of anything else for USA Diving other than that. Um, same with NCAA the, for the diving side. I can think of a lot of things to change about the NCAA um, in general. For instance, I mean, NIL is now a thing, so that's good. But like we were talking about earlier, it's really hard for divers to make money, especially if you're in college. And I know me and Cassidy have both received prize money from um international meets and used to not be able to accept it in the NCAA 
or you had to accept it and then get everything approved and spend it by a certain time. And it just like, doesn't teach college kids good spending habits, you could say. So um, finding out a way for collegiate divers to make more money so they can train and also support themselves, I think would be great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had, I had one uh, just kind of off the cuff here. I don't necessarily agree with the United States diving or the USA divings meet format for trials. Do you guys think that could be updated specifically speaking to the difference between our trials system and the actual Olympics? And I'm referring to, you know, in our trials, all your lists add together. It's a cumulative. Typically in that situation, the most consistent divers come about to, you know, if you miss three dives, you're going to be hurting. You're going to be in trouble. Whereas at the Olympics, the, the lists reset. Do you mm-hmm. think we should go to that as a country? Cause that's kind of where I'm at. Um, um me, me personally, I would love to go back to what, what, what was it? 2008 where they used to do, I think it was 2008 where they used to do, if you brought back an Olympic spot, then you got like a 75 point bonus at Olympic trials. I believe uh, it was, cool. mm-hmm. um, cool. if we could, yeah, if, they could figure out like a point system like that i think that would be cool but as far as starting over each list at olympic trials i don't know um how i would feel about that sure yeah it's it's tough to say because obviously you want to send it's hard okay so it, it's always been in my opinion that like sending a consistent diver is really good for those olympic qualifying events like a world championships or a yeah. world cup but for the olympic games consistency or do you want to send the best time like, i've always thought sarah is the best diver in the united states if not the world and her best i think her best is could beat the chinese and i don't think that about anybody else's diving and even though she wasn't the most consistent at the olympic trials it's like but she is our best chance to medal because she's the only one who can match up to this certain people so it's really hard to say because like consistent you want consistency but you also want somebody that can really that actually has like a chance to medal um and i think they actually have restructured the olympic trials for the next year uh i think the first there's going to be three lists in individual and the first list qualifies you into the next round but then only the semifinal and the final are accumulative so they're yeah. they are testing and I just found that out when we were in Colorado Springs, like uh, two weeks ago. We can only synchro lists now. Yeah, so I oh, think nice. there's synchro two lists for synchro, think... and then only semifinals and finals are going to be accumulative for the fi- uh, for the individual spots. So I think that'll give you a little bit of what you want there, Aaron. Uh, so I mean, they're changing it up. Some people, it's yeah. it's hard to say because no matter what you do, somebody's going to be unhappy. So I think it's just finding that right, that good balance and whatever works for us as a country and, you know, collecting medals and sending our best divers. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, from commentating with uh, Lee Mashad from USA Diving, we commented on um, women's platform together at Winter Nationals. And that's what I gathered from kind of the critique he was giving to some of the athletes like, oh, we need to see them take this dive and turn it over or add a twist. And so Aaron and I are in the same camp as both of you, where it's like, we want to see people that go to the Olympics that can bring home a medal. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of value for making a final, but if you make a final and you know, just mathematically, you have to be perfect, get tens on everything. Well, you can't, that's hard to justify in our brains. We we're in the same camp as you guys. I well, believe. I, I thought you can you, what you said, Cassidy was absolutely nail mm-hmm. on the head. There was consistent divers are amazing to earn those spots. But then once we're sending athletes to the Olympics, I think no matter what, we got to send the athletes that have the best chance to bring home a medal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Um, so now jumping into the next set here is what is both of your favorite drills individually? I like doing dry board. I mean, I, I can tell you my least favorite drill and that's three Oh three a on three meter, which one makes me do yeah. all the time. <laughs> Mike told us that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fan of that one, but I would say my favorite is probably just doing a uh, dry board, a lot of dry board practice for me. Same. Um, you know, I grew up doing a ton of dry land, so I like live on the dry board. And uh, so I think for me, doing dry board is just as important as doing a water workout. And then 
I would say, I guess I'll add in my least favorite drill too. My least favorite drill is uh, 401A on one meter, which Wembo just started having me do. And I'm like, I just can't get the hang of it right now. I like feel so awkward when I do it. And I'm like trying to get the hang of it. I know it'll be really good for my inward start, but man, it, it's hard to, you know, do those old timey dives. Like you watch those people from like the 80s Olympics and they're doing like gainer dive straight with a half twist. And so I'm like, how <laughs> do they do this? So yeah. I'm like, I'm starting to get the, the Wembo drill set down, but the 401A still needs some work. <laughs> <laughs> That's odd. We have heard Mike let us know some of those Wembo drills and we're like, oh, our divers would hate their lives if we did that. <laughs> I think I told my college kids the next day, I'm like, hey, you want to hear a drill they do up here? And they're like, no, we don't because you always do a podcast and come in with a new drill and we always hate it. Like, it's always horrible. Um, best advice you have either given and or received? Mine would be probably just stay in the moment. Um, Diving is one of those sports where you have so much time in between rounds. And if you mess up, one dive and you're thinking about it the rest of the competition it really can affect your performance um my coach uh growing up kenny armstrong always told me that diving was a lot like golf like you need to take it one swing at a time and because on any given day somebody could be the best diver and then the next you know competition or tournament or whatever uh they could you know be finishing at the bottom so it's really just like taking it one step at a time staying in the moment and enjoying the journey um and not just looking at the destination yeah, mine would probably be something similar to that. You know, whenever I have a meet that is three lists long, um, Wembo has told me to look at it as 15 total dives and not three lists of five dives. So we, if you miss one dive, you still have 14 dives to do well on. Instead of looking at it as you miss one dive, you have four dives to make up for that. So it's just one dive at a time, um, focus on what you need to focus on in order to perform well. And then Wembo just always... One was always like, do what you need to do and land on your head. <laughs> so, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of value in that. <laughs> it, yeah. It, that's, that's so like neat to hear. Cause we, we just had a meet the other day and one of my female athletes just completely missed her first time. I'm like, Hey, you just, you have a five dive meet left. Like, don't worry about the first one. Like, let's just move on. And she's like, Oh, okay. I guess I never thought about it like that. Like dwelling on, it's not going to help. Um, exactly. so that's awesome. He, he, hang yes. on before you ask your next one, yep. I, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, you mentioned Cassidy, you mentioned golf and I'm going to just flip it right to Sarah. Sarah, I know you're a huge Tiger Woods fan. Where did that <laughs> start? And, you know, I am also a massive Tiger Woods fan. So I just want to hear you talk about him a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, growing up, my family was huge into watching golf. Um, so I kind of grew up watching Tiger from a really young age and I think just his all of his comeback stories, you know, it kind of really it really related to me and my diving career. And he would be hurt and then he'd come back and just go through so much stuff in his personal life and just coming back from it and continuing to be on top, continuing to be determined to be the best golfer in the world, you know. Yeah. Um, I just kind of looked up to him and the way he played golf and the way that he went about not really not his personal life and what he did outside of golf, but him on the course and um his drive and determination to just continue to be the best golfer. Well, one of the I I always bring up this crazy statistic about Tiger Woods. So he was obviously the number one golfer in the world for quite a long time, but I, lo I just looked it up. He spent 683 weeks at world number one. And they always throw this up there whenever I'm watching golf and there's a new number one and they would need to spend 15 years atop the world rankings to like even catch him for total career longevity at weeks. Number one. I mean, it's, it's absolutely absurd. It's, it's fun to kind of, go back into the archives and see how good he was at literally everything. Yeah. He's insane. <laughs> Absolute uh, animal. <laughs> yeah. So who would you like to each hear us interview next? Honestly, I think Wemba would be hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if he would do it, but um, I think he'd be hilarious. Awesome. And I would recommend Jessica Parado. She's out here with me. I think she's really well-spoken. She has a lot of great things to offer, great stories, two-time Olympian, silver medalist. 
Um, I think you know, her and Wimbo can do it together. She used to die for Wimbo. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I would recommend Jess. I think she'd be a great guest. Awesome. Cool. And then and then my last question is uh, from Dr. Rob Bell. What question are we not asking from our guests that we should be? Wait, why does Dr. Rob? Sorry, why does that name sound so familiar? <laughs> uh, he he was um, on the coaches uh, symposium for the PDCA, but I think he works with John Wingfield's okay. Ripcast quite a bit. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't really know what questions I would ask. I think that this podcast has been great. Um, Cass, do you have any? No, I think you guys pretty much nailed everything on the head. Like great questions. I feel like it's going to be super informative, yeah. really fun. <laughs> um, you know, I think having audience questions is great too, because yeah. then they can ask the questions that you guys may not have thought of. Um, but no, I think this is, it, this was laid out pretty well. I mean, I, you could maybe add in a high pressure, rapid fire, you know, the <laughs> yeah. there you go. Trivia because I'm really good at that, but you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome. And then I actually do have one more question because Sarah had mentioned this about three lists having 15 dives. What is your thought on women doing five dives versus six? Great question. <laughs> well, as both, I of, both, of you, both of you. I'm not the best twister Um <laughs> So I don't mind doing the five dives. I think, you know, covering each of the categories is enough for me. Maybe platform is a different story because they do have an extra category that, you know, they're not covering in women's diving. But for women's stream eater, I think just adding in another twister or whatever it may be is a little overkill. And we do have that opportunity to do that in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, you know, adding an, a six round on where you're going to see 51 of five Bs on three meter from the right. women. I don't think yeah. it would be uh, as exciting as, you know, doing adding a six dive on platform. Right. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I was just going to awesome. say you see a lot of 105 Bs. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, that's awesome. That's like but great. I also push girls to start learning double out. But yeah, that's true. I don't. That's tough. You're right. It could push the boundary. <laughs> yeah. You're like that can I, happen I after we're done. I'm okay with times, but... You're like I'm okay with you guys changing after our career is done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. You can push the envelope in two years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. In my head, uh, I'm like, ooh, double out. We'll see more. Ooh. Reverse three and a half. We'll see more. And then it's like, oh, wait. Yeah, you're probably right. We'll just see a lot of 105B. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, just incredible. Um, first and foremost, before we get through kind of the end of the stuff here is Cassie and Sarah, thank you so, so much for joining us. This was kind of like, uh, like honestly, like a few of the names on the very top of our list for people we thought we would never get to talk to on a podcast. <laughs> so um, really, thank you so much for your time. Um before Aaron does our send off, just want to mention to everybody listening more. So the coaches out there or club coaches, um, if you have camps or clinics coming up, reach out to us. We will happily share those. Um, we'll re- just reach out via Instagram or our email, but, uh, that is it for me. So Cassidy, Sarah, thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck over the next year and a half, two years. Thank, thank you so you. much. It was such a pleasure. <laughs> All right. So hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod. Our Gmail is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, divingpod.itemorder.com that has t-shirts and hoodies. Just enter dive pod at checkout for free shipping. As Heath said, thank you both so much. Team cooking bacon. Really, really excited to finally have a conversation with you two amazing ladies. So good luck in the future. And thanks again. Thank you guys. All right. We'll see you next time.